Hello and welcome to The Road to Autonomy. The Road to Autonomy is brought to you in part by Stantec Generation AV. Stantec Generation AV combines some of the most experienced AV experts in the industry with the resources of a global engineering firm. Stantec Generation AV provides education, consulting, assessment, and guidance to any industry interested in autonomous vehicles. Learn more at Stantec.com. Hello and welcome to The Road to Autonomy. I am your host, Grayson Brulte. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to have Jason Eichenholz, co-founder and CTO Luminar. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Grayson. Honored to be here. I'm excited to have you here. You're one of the leaders in the Florida technology space around autonomous vehicles. You've been there longer than anybody. You've been a champion for the state. So thank you everything you've done to attract talent to the state. You put a bug in my ear along with Senator Brandish years ago to move to Florida, and I'm happy to be a Floridian. So Jason, thank you for the encouragement. It's great to be here. Jason, you've got this really interesting, sophisticated, smart background. You've even given a college commencement speech, which was very inspirational. How did you first become interested in imaging systems and optoelectronics? It's funny because I got into imaging and optics and, and really lasers in high school. In high school, in, in a physics demonstration about compressibility of matter, I saw this laser demonstration, and that's all I remember. I, I vividly remember the day I saw that laser beam going across. And I was like, okay, I, I want to do this. I want to learn everything I can about lasers and optics and imaging and the things we could do. I thought it was all sorts of applications. Little did I know that it would literally shape the direction of my career, that I'd be using lasers to make autonomous vehicles safely operate on highways. I had no, I didn't have that kind of foresight. When I knew I was really interested in it, and I mowed lawns, I had a paper route, and pumped gas. Back in the day, That's what that was a summer job, to earn the money to go buy my first laser. What did you do when you bought your first laser? I did, like every normal high school student, right? I geeked out and I built laser holograms in my basement. And so I built a vibration isolation table in the basement in Massachusetts in a small town and came up with all the plans and read books. You know, there's no internet. This is the uh, uh, late 80s. So we built uh, read books, went to the library, you know, went to the UMass library and different colleges and learned about holography. And my dad got the chemicals from work for me to start developing these things in my basement and made holograms as a high school student. That then turned into a state science fair project that then turned into a National Science Foundation program at Rensselaer Polytech, which created the ability for me to do undergrad, sorry, high school research. I did research as part of an NSF program at Rensselaer Polytech in Troy, New York, and that created my college career. And then I went to graduate school down here at UCF for grad school to learn about laser physics. So all from a high school demonstration and a chance encounter. Did you win the state science fair? I think I got second place in the Massachusetts State Science Fair, but we actually brought a mock-up of that vibration isolation table there to the State Science Fair at MIT, and that thing had 1,600 pounds of sand to kind of act as like a, a weight, 
and we simulated that. But yeah, it, 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 the whole logs and everything, it was fantastic. We, I did two summers of research and I, I did two science fairs. Science fairs, but the the uh, holography science fair part that was really really cool. Was there a teacher in the high school to kind of put you on that path? Hey, Jason, look into lasers; you might be interested. Or was it just your general curiosity that moved you there? It was genuine genuine curiosity. I saw that laser beam going across the room in this collimated beam, and I was like, "What the heck is that?" It was this red little helium neon laser. And it's funny, I, I have right here in my office with me that first laser that I bought. And I mean, that was a lot of money back then in probably six, 700 bucks back in the day. And, you know, it's great. It's just, it, it's so grounding to know that, that that's where all this began. It is. And now you're, you're extremely successful with, with Luminar. Luminar is doing great things around lasers. You're making the world a safer place through your technology. We'll get into that in a bit, but what led you on the path to co-founding Luminar? Was it this great insight that you had into lasers, the understanding of lasers, or then just your genuine curiosity of wanting to build something and build something great? I appreciate the positive comments. I, you know, I, I've got a PhD in laser physics, but I'm surrounded by some incredibly talented and intelligent people, both in the optics and photonics industry, as well as within the team here at Luminar. I'm, I'm passionate and have always been passionate about the commercialization of optics and photonics-based technology. That's been what I've wanted to do from as long as I can remember career-wise. And I've had various jobs along the way and, and opportunities and designing instruments that went to the bottom of the Marianas Trench, to the top of Mount Everest, to Mars on rovers and spectroscopy equipment that we designed back when I worked at Ocean Optics. So I've had these great opportunities to see technology deployed. We've looked at cancer detection. We've looked just all sorts of different applied uses. Eventually, I learned that I was getting frustrated in the corporate world because I was trying to convince people and, and executives that there was a business opportunity for something that I couldn't quantify because it didn't exist. I couldn't show the business opportunity. I could see I call it seeing around corners. I could see the unmet market need. I could see the technology that could address that. But I wasn't able to convince people that that was a thing. And I said, all right, I'm just going to be an entrepreneur because we'll go prove it. I eventually started my own company. We rolled that company, Open Photonics, into Luminar because the, the, the mission for Luminar was just so much bigger and so powerful and so compelling. But even in those early days of Luminar, we were talking about LIDAR and we were talking about essentially 3D imaging and enabling uh, sensing for self-driving cars 10 years ago. This is before self-driving cars were a thing. We had to convince investors that self-driving cars would be a thing. You're either comfortable in that nowhere's land of fuzzy front end unknown world or you're not 
I love that early stage of development of companies, technology, and the intersections of the technology to enable those new markets. That's what got us to build Luminar. We've always been focused on building LiDAR-based systems that can make transportation safe, ubiquitous, and eventually autonomous. We've always been focused on that. But from day one, we wanted the technology to be deployable, scalable, and we never sacrificed on the technology based on what was available. We made the technology work to enable the application. And that's where we talk about sort of building things from the chip level up in the early days. And we still do that to this day. I remember those early days. You were always in the team, were always grinding, always trying to perfect, always trying to, to make the product better. You never, never stopped innovating. Does that still run in the culture today of how do we make the best product possible? So the, we still do that. That's still the core of our DNA. How we do it is completely different on the back end because at, at, at the same time that we're constantly innovating, we also have to focus on the major commercial wins, the critical components suppliers, the supply chain, advancing our technology. And with that comes you know, a lot more process and IATF certification and and such as we're, as we're in doing our industrialization of our iris sensor for series production and going into C phase and getting to those samples into production and scaling, we've got to do that too. But my role and, and the direction from, from the board is to always be thinking about what's next and what's next next. So I'm always thinking two to three generations beyond what we're doing today. And, and the R&D team really focuses on that. And we've got a lot of opportunity because with, with the success financially and commercially with Luminar, it opens up those opportunities. So we have to do both. We have to continue to innovate. And, and I'm super excited about the products that are going to be coming later. But also we need to essentially double down on ensuring that we can get these things into production today. I like that you're... You have one hat focused on the commercialization to do right by by your shareholders. I like how you have the other hat focused on the future. And I, I want to highlight one of the partnerships. To me, you've got it's the crown jewel, and you've got the relationship, uh, financial contractual partnership with Volvo. To me, Volvo growing up in the Northeast was the de facto safe car. Every mom had the Volvo because it was a safe vehicle. It had the safety innovations, and then. They would tell that to everybody, and that was the car. And lo and behold, following Volvo's safety record, Volvo could have picked a variety of different vendors. They picked Luminar. You have your your culture of, of safety, what you're doing in your um, company. You have Volvo's culture of safety. You're coming together to help Volvo enable unsupervised autonomous driving capability on highways. That's a very significant partnership for your company. I think it's a very significant partnership for the future of the industry as a whole. Will you please kindly talk about that partnership? Well, I think we've got a really great synergy in that Volvo has always been known for safety. And I think that the, the best part of this is last year they made the decision to make Luminar Lighter standard in their next gen all electric SUV. 
And if you think about it, it's like an airbag. It, you know, it's not something you have to pay extra for. It should be there. And I, it, I look at the automotive industry and I look at the ability to bring technology and innovation forward. And, and the overall industry is sort of going through a transformation. I think it's the single largest transformation to transportation since the Model T. You've got autonomy, you've got electrification, but you've got a lot of things going on in safety. Volvo is a great partner. They they are thinking ahead. And then at CES, they announced that they're going to use our LiDAR technology as a subscription service for something called RidePilot. RidePilot is going to enable, for the first time, autonomy with hands-off, eyes-off, autonomous capability that they're going to start testing in the middle of this year in California. The ability to see a company not only take safety and incorporate LiDAR technology to move forward with our vision on proactive safety, but also to move forward in autonomous capability is sort of a a win-win scenario in my mind. During uh, CES recently, your team put out videos of the Luminar's proactive safety technology. You had, let's call it Acme vehicle in the left lane, and then you had a, a vehicle equipped with the Luminar LiDAR in the right lane. The Luminar LiDAR saw that, that little safety guy that shot out and came to a complete safe stop. Acme vehicle in the other side did not see that vehicle, and the robot, the little safety guy, he didn't have a very good day to say the least. Talk about the proactive safety technology, please. Grayson, thank you for bringing that up because I think I'm so confused as why people aren't talking about the challenges associated with ADAS technology. We're, we're, we're in this space where the technology can do much more, but we're complacent with the performance. Proactive safety is about preventing accidents, not mitigating or minimizing them. It's about preventing them. Proactive safety is is a capability that we want to deliver with Luminar LiDAR and the associated software that goes with that to make cars uncrashable. It's a step function in performance compared to what's out there today over ADAS or today's advanced driver assistance systems. I'm shocked at how bad these systems are. Now they're great, they prevent accidents you or they can mitigate them in certain cases, but at the end of the day, you know, in, in 2020, AAA did a study and they looked at 4,000 miles of real world driving experience with ADAS systems. And these things experience some sort of issue every eight miles. You're seeing people buying cars with ADAS technology, which is probably one of the best features in a car, maybe after airbags. And we're watching people turn the systems off because they don't perform well enough. So while ADAS is a step in the right direction, Unfortunately, today's systems are imperfect and unreliable. I believe part of that is because the test standards that we're using, specifically the NCAP test standard bar, is exceptionally low. They mitigate the amount of lighting that you have to have. They don't talk about driving in the dark or at night in real world. And the fact is, you know, everyone in autonomy talks about edge cases, and we'll talk about those in a little bit. I know you've got your your favorite ones that I have, but (laughs) the reality is the world is full of edge cases. The reality is, is when you have a real, real LIDAR system, you can get higher confidence object detection. You can do it at faster speeds. You can do it at further distances than today's camera 
and radar camera or radar based solutions. And we were able to show that in real world situations, not the boxed in end cap testing, that we could do on track demos with cars that are equipped with luminar, lidar, avoid hitting test dummies, while other luxury cars equipped with the latest and greatest ADAS mostly failed to stop. At some point, we need to say enough is enough. We do. Is, pr- is proactive safety the next evolution of ADAS? Well, I, I think proactive safety is, is not an evolution. It's a revolution. It, it's a mindset. Let's prevent accidents. Can we get to zero accidents? How do we do that? So let's talk about accidents because I think just in general, so let's talk about complacency and how we think through things. Every working day in this country, the equivalent of a 737 jet drops out of the sky in automobile fatalities. Every working day. So let's imagine a world where on Monday, a Southwest jet drops out of the sky. Tuesday, JetBlue. Wednesday, Delta. Who do you think would be at an airport on Thursday to go flying? If three days in a row, we had that kind of fatalities in the auto, in the airline industry. No one. No one. But the same thing happens every single day on our highways and our roads here in this country. But because they're geographically and temporarily diverse, we've become accustomed to it. I think that's just the wrong thinking. What if that wasn't acceptable? What could we do? How could we make proactive safety so that didn't happen anymore? That is what proactive safety is thinking about. And the technology to go do this exists today. You saw it at CES. As a society, I don't know any other way to say this, we're numb to it. And it's it's a sad the only time that a crash or fatality involving an automobile or a vehicle is in the news if it's a celebrity, but the individual that perished in that is a celebrity to their family. But nobody talks about the, the, the psychological issues that it has on that family, the financial issues. There's all these issues that go around with it. We have to make our roads safer. And on the backside of this, stop staring at cell phones and drive. Distracted driving is is a huge problem that we have to stop. This this has to stop, but nobody really talks about this outside of wonky safety policy circles. But Jason, for the last 25 years, you've been rolling your sleeves up. You're a volunteer firefighter, EMT in Orange County, Florida. I'm sure you've seen some pretty horrific sights that you wish you haven't seen. What have you learned during that experience of volunteer firefighter that you've seen that could either serve as a wake up call to somebody and say, Hey, it can, it can wait 10 minutes to look at your phone. Talk about that. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of lessons learned from being a firefighter that and being a dad are probably the things that have taught me the, the two most important things. But the, when I look at automobile accidents, I see them differently than most people. Most people haven't been on the side of the road uh, in a car, using the jaws of life, trying to pull somebody out of a car, listening to them scream, trying to keep somebody alive. 
No, most people haven't had that. And I, and I have a saying, there's some things you can't unsee. There's a lot of those things that you can't unsee. At the same time, uh, when I go to the fire station and I volunteer, especially when I, back when I used to do it a lot more actively, it's very grounding. It, it helps you understand what's really important versus not important. I sit in these policy meetings. I sit and listen to the various committees talk about, about things. At the end of the day, when you've actually been out and seen the effect that an automobile accident has, or when you, you know, I, I think uh, I had to stop on the way to work and I helped someone get out of a car and it becomes very real and it's no longer a paper exercise. Knowing that you're going to have an impact preventing things or mitigating those types of real experiences, it's very different to drive by at five or six miles an hour and rubberneck and see an accident like everybody loves to do. It's very different when you're there for 30 minutes trying to pull somebody out of a car. That grounding, that experience helps drive making driving safer. Why did you initially want to become a volunteer firefighter? I'm a car guy. I always love cars. Uh, I, I remember I said I went to Rensselaer Polytech undergrad. They had a volunteer ambulance squad. I thought it'd be fun to drive the ambulance. That would be cool, right? And it turns out that you need to get medical training before they let you drive the ambulance. And I really was into emergency medicine. I really thought that was really kind of cool. I even considered becoming an ER doc as a career path. But I didn't go down that path. But then I became a volunteer firefighter after getting my ENT license. And I really kind of fell in love with the volunteering aspect in the fire service as a way to give back. I think everybody should find something that they give back on. It could be it could be volunteering at their church. It could be at a boys and girls club. It could be being a, a mentor to somebody. It could be feeding the homeless. I don't care what it is, but everybody should be giving their time back. And this is an area where I decided I wanted to give my time back. And it's been incredibly rewarding that the people that I've been able to interact with over the years, it just turns out that the first group of people that I worked with here in Orange County were the exact same people that were literally, they, they, this group called the Car Busters, they were producing the videos, teaching people how to do vehicle extrication from serious acquisition, uh, serious accidents. So I actually got to learn from the best of the best uh, about how on tactics on how to extricate people from accidents. Hopefully that'll all come to fruition one day where you don't have to do that anymore. We all hope we never have to do it anymore, but it's powerful that you know it because it's going to help inform the decisions you make, you know, as a leader at Luminars, you look to enhance the safety of LIDAR and staying on the safety theme here. What are the safety benefits of LIDAR? So the safety benefits of LIDAR is the fact that we are seeing inherently in 3D. We're not requiring computer algorithms to try to make cameras, take, which is inherently a 2D system, become 3D. We create a 3D point cloud around the car based on taking a laser beam, shooting it out, measuring the time it takes for that light to come back. And we create this 3D map of the world. When you have a true 3D map, being able to then do perception, not only is something there, but what it is, is inherently easier and computationally less intensive. That's the inherent safety. The other inherent safety 
uh, aspects of LiDAR is the fact that the way our system works, we are essentially the sun. We're sending the light out. So we don't have to deal with issues driving into sunsets or sunrise. We don't have to deal with issues associated with poor lighting conditions or oncoming headlights. We designed our system from the chip level up. We found 2,000 ways not to build a LiDAR system, taking into account all those things that could be issues on using a LiDAR system when it's deployed widely. We thought about the case in an urban environment where you had hundreds of cars all shooting LiDAR around at each other. We thought about fog and rain and how do you mitigate all those things and deal with those things. And that's all built inherent to our design. One thing you thought of that I got a kick out of the first time you told me, this must have been four years ago, we're on stage at the Florida um, Automated Vehicle Summit together and and you said, Grayson, I'd, I'd like to make a comment about love bugs. I said, Jason, what the heck is a love bug? And you explained to me how in Florida, a certain season that they like to attract to cars. And that's an edge case that Luminar had to solve for. Could you talk about love bugs and why it's an edge case that Luminar had to solve for, please? So, so love bugs are these bugs that are notorious in Florida. And apparently they're attracted to, I think, the CO or the CO2 from cars. But they, they, so they end up congregating near roadways because of all the vehicle exhaust. And for several weeks every summer, your front of your car, if you're on these roads, literally will be coated in love bugs. And you have to pull over every once in a while and go to a gas station and scrub your windshield just to be able to see or clear your headlights. It's an inherently Florida thing. But it's also uh, something that's a real-world driving condition. It's, it's, and by the way, it's no different in my mind than you know dealing with uh, salt up north and on the roads when you're driving in, in the winter up there. It's, they're very, very similar. But the point is you have to think about when you're not just the LiDAR but putting it into a vehicle, how do you deal with the environmental conditions of road salt or love bugs or other obscurance getting in front of your LiDAR system? And so the engineering teams uh, within Luminar have been working closely with all of our partners on vehicle integration in order to ensure that we've got the right airflow, the cleaning solutions, the, the washing systems, whatever is required in order to deploy a LiDAR system in the real world, not just on a California sunny day in an afternoon when it, when it never rains or snows. You said the most important thing there, road salt. A lot of you know, the population of America lives in the Northeast or in the mid north or midwest or areas where it snows so luminar has solved the road salt issue i think our i, I wouldn't say that luminar i don't think it would the right way to say luminar solved it i'd say is that we are working with our partners that are deploying our lidar technology into their vehicles and how to handle that is very well understood and can be engineered to be deployed that's a there, huge positive. All, well, I mean, the, the biggest thing is just where do you put the LiDAR sensor? If you want to put something in the in the grill of a vehicle because it looks aesthetically pleasing, it may not give the best performance versus putting it up on the roof line. 
for example, how you make the airflow go over the roof line uh, is also very important. The cleaning systems you deploy, there's a lot of work that goes into enabling proactive safety and autonomy that's beyond just the LIDAR system. We don't develop a LIDAR system, hand it off to our partners and move on. It's part of the conversation, a very detailed part of the conversation. You could see that just from the CES announcement of the Blade Integrated System Solution for commercial trucks. Jason, that was sexy. It wasn't just a slap this here, slap this there, slap this here. It was beautifully designed. Was that working with the truck OEMs and saying, what is the most efficient way to incorporate LiDAR onto these trucks? I, th I think you've seen, uh, this is sort of the second evolution. I think early in autonomy, you know, we saw the spinning Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets, you know, and all these sensors on the tops of cars. You saw the work that we did in the early days working with Toyota Research Institute on integration into their Lexuses that then eventually looks like the integration you've seen at CES and what we're doing with Volvo and our, our other partners. I think the same thing is we're trying to help the uh, trucking industry do the exact same thing. They've got a hodgepodge of sensors. We're working with autonomous truck players like Kodiak and Mark today and others in autonomous trucking. Blade solves key integration challenges that will help Luminar's commercial autonomous trucking partners accelerate and expedite the integration of LiDAR technology directly into their fleets. We've got a reference, we've got the LiDAR associated integration and interfaces. We've got the mechanical, the structural, the thermal, the electrical, the optical interfaces taken care of for them. That way they can focus on getting their software up and running, taking our blade design, get to market faster, with a sleekly integrated solution. It's about enabling the technology and removing the barriers and, and not reinventing the wheel five different times for five different customers. Your two customers in Kodiak and Embark, you're in good um, shape. They both been on this podcast and they and they've shared a great story. So thank you for, for highlighting them. If an individual asked you, Jason, why Luminar? Why not a competitor? What would you say? Well, I, I'd have I'd have many questions. First, I'd really try before even saying that. I'd really try to understand what they're trying to do. What are they trying to uh, have a safer vehicle? Are they trying to enable autonomy. Are they try to do it via highway. Are they try to do it in a in a parking lot. I mean, there is. I, I think the biggest problem is is you don't want to have a, a, a solution for a problem that doesn't exist. I think you really want to understand what what problem are you trying to solve? That's what we always do. Then what's deployed has to be auto grade. And that's the real thing that differentiates Luminar right now from just about everybody. We've solved the technology problems. We solved the technology years ago. We've made acquisitions, we've made supply chain decisions, we've got scaling partners all to, to be able to scale and bring this thing into commercial production. That is equally important. And it's something that the industry is really, really struggling with because you have so many of these companies still trying to develop and, and sell their technology. They haven't thought about what it takes to handle 
the love bug situation. They're tr still trying to make the system work. How do you see the LiDAR industry evolving over the next five years? Do you see a more push towards automotive grade? I, I think there's a, a, a huge uh, need for things to move towards auto grade in the future. I also think the the performance and the reliability needs to be there, which we're proving. And I and I think there's going to be a minimum threshold. I think people are going to realize that you need to have a certain level of performance to enable safe perception, which then enables safe autonomy. There, there is a very, very compelling value proposition in multiple areas surrounding autonomy and safety. And that can be in trucking, it can be commercially. LiDAR will be proven as one of the most important parts of the stack. I fully agree with you. I, I don't see how we're going to solve a self-driving problem without LiDAR. I just, I don't see how it happens. Somebody proved me wrong, proved me wrong. But if you look at the edge cases and I'm going to highlight your CES video. I'm not sure if it's on luminar.com or if it's on your Twitter account, but to our listeners, please look at the, the video from CES that Luminar put out of the Acme vehicle on the left, the Luminar vehicle on the right, the proactive safety, because that was eye-opening. And it takes LiDAR to see what what, what it saw. And it's and it's, a, it's going to save lives, and it's very important. And Jason, this technology is not just you're not just doing it to be cool to solve a problem it's deeply personal to you you have a personal connection to this technology for the advancement of autonomy could you kindly share that story please yeah this this is really personal i mean we talked about the being the volunteer firefighter and the first responder but you know i i let, let's look at it from a perspective of me as a, a dad. I have a 14-year-old uh, daughter. She's going to be getting her driver's license next year. And frankly, I'm excited about that. I'm, I can't wait to go teach my daughter how to drive. She's excited. She's like, can we go get a golf cart? I want to start learning now. I'm like, that's my girl. Uh, <laughs> she's totally excited about it. Uh, driving and I and I, I love Ella for that because she's so passionate about it. She's she caught my car bug. I also have a 16 year old son, Jonathan. Jonathan's got autism. I don't think Jonathan's ever going to get his driver's license. I don't think he's ever going to be able to drive. And when I look at him and I look at what he's going to need to live his most full life transportation and being able to get from point A to point B safely and ubiquitously is going to be a problem for him. How can I solve that? And I think this is where the autonomy part comes in. And I'm certainly not going to put him in a, a system that isn't performant. And I know good systems from bad ones. But if I can give him safe, ubiquitous transportation and I can give safe and ubiquitous transportation to millions of others with special needs, it could be people that are legally blind. We've got an employee who's legally blind, who's helping design the eyes for self-driving cars, but can't get a, his own driver's license. 
right? Can we help others with that can't communicate to be able to get free transportation or ubiquitous transportation or whatever it is? I want to enable that. That drives me more than anything because I know I'm going to make a difference in his life. That makes it personal. You're a proud dad. Very much, very much. I'm really, my kids are fantastic and, and they've, they've made me uh, so much, so much better, a much better leader. And I, I got to tell you, having a, a son with autism has made me much, much better person than I was before. So I'm, I'm indebted to him and what he's taught me as much as we're teaching him. And you're, you're doing right by society where you're trying to enable that where millions of families can have the ability to, for their children to move around in the future or individuals can move around. And Jason, we owe you a, a tip of the hat because there's very few people that have the technological knowledge and proudness that you do to be able to solve this problem. So thank you for, for going two feet in to solve this problem because it will have a very positive impact on society. What does the future of autonomy look like in your opinion? I think the future of autonomy looks different depending on the application. I think there, there's the one that I'm most excited about personally is the ability to not have to drive for long periods of times on highways. So I'm a car guy. I love cars. You and I have shared our, our, our mutual passion for cars. What I've learned is that I love to drive. I hate to commute. If we can transform the commute into useful time and take long drives and take the boringness of long drives and highways out and give people time back, I think that's the be real beginning of it. I think there's transportation as a service. I think there's great things going on with trucking and being able to move goods from coast to coast or point to point faster and safer. I think all of those things are great. I think there will be new modalities in transportation, solving last mile problems and using rail and other types of modalities and, and connecting them together. But I'm, I'm most excited about the ability to start giving people their time back. That's a very powerful thing that when you give the time back, you could spend more time with your child. You can perhaps, you know, take your child fishing because you have more time. And just think about the positive impacts on the family life, not necessarily what you're going to do in the, you know, for work, but what you're going to do ar around the family element. And that is really powerful. And, and Jason, thank you for, for coming on the road to autonomy today and sharing your great insights into all things lasers and, and luminars. I always love talking to you. And as we look to wrap up, what would you like our listeners to take away with them? Well, great. First, Grayson, thank you very much for having me. We, you and I have been talking for too long about doing this and I'm, I'm <laughs> finally getting around to do it. What, what I, what I hope comes out of this is that, that your, your listeners really think about transportation, the future of transportation and what could be. Not what is, not what we've settled for, but what could be. What could the future of safe, ubiquitous transportation look like? Yes, there's the autonomy aspect of it. I'm super pumped about that. 
But can we get to zero accidents? What would that look like? And what would happen in a world like that? We can get to a world with zero crashes and a world with zero crashes will be a world with less tears. It will be a happier world because families will not grieve for an unfortunate situation that could have been prevented. So please do not drive distracted. And when you drive, please realize that the vehicle is a weapon that could cause undue harm to another individual who you might never know. So please be responsible when you drive because the future is bright, the future is autonomous, and the future is Luminar. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the road to autonomy today. Thanks, Grayson. Thank you for listening to the Road to Autonomy podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Want to get in touch? Follow us on Twitter at Road to Autonomy or email podcast at brultec.com. The Road to Autonomy is produced by Brulte and Company. The views and opinions expressed on the Road to Autonomy podcast do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Brulte and Company. The content discussed in this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal, tax, investment, or business advice.